I'm Dave Laird. I'm Matt Booker. And welcome to a best of 2017 episode where we talk about stuff that was cool last year. You're listening to The Great Concavity. Well, Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New, New Year. Year. Yeah, we're a little bit into 2018, <laughs> but... Yeah, about, uh, about 10 days in. We're, we're slightly late, but I think that's okay. I don't Not think you bad. can really assess 2017 until it's over anyway, so... Yeah, it's got to be over and you need a little bit of time to let things percolate, right? To reflect. Uh, that's if you right. Did this, if you did this, like, on New Year's Eve, it would. I don't think it would cut it. You know, the mustard and all that. I, I agree. You have to wait a few days. <laughs> Yeah, but um, so as you've hopefully deduced and, and inferred at this point, this is a podcast in which generally we talk about the, the American writer David Foster Wallace, uh, about his work and about his life and legacy. Uh, occasionally we talk about other things uh, around sort of the periphery of that or around his themes. Uh, and this episode is an annual thing that we've done where we get to sort of uh, extend that even a little bit further into the margins. Um, so we have other interests, believe it or not, uh, outside of David Foster Wallace and Wallace Studies. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about books we liked this last year, Matt, and maybe some music and uh, perhaps some films and TV shows and video games. Uh, the last few of which you don't really do, Matt. You just read Sorry. and that's, that's your whole life. But I have a couple other interests, I guess, which I can <laughs> mention. Uh, we'll talk about other podcasts. You listen to podcasts. Uh, yeah, I, I do have some <laughs> podcasts on my list. And I was going to say some of my comments will um, relate back to David Foster Wallace. Um, yeah, that's the idea. That's the hope. But uh, much of it is is um, like other people who read Wallace. They all read other stuff, too. So Yeah, I would hope so. I feel like it'd be a bit narrowed to just read Infinite Jest as over and over as the only book ever. That would be very narrow-minded. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> we don't want that. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, this is episode 35. Um, so uh, let's talk 35, briefly. 35, is that right? 35. Th- 35 is right, I think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, last uh, the Oz Wallace one was 34. So here we are, episode 35. That's where we're at. So Matt, uh, briefly, any any life highlights from last year before we get into to the books? Uh, life highlights. Let's see. Um, <laughs> like geopolitics aside, I mean, for one, sorry, we have to say that every year. Yeah, not, just kind of been shaken up. Yeah, I don't way. want to talk about that. <laughs> um, I'll give you a couple. I mean, um, for me, one was going to the David Foster Wallace conference in Illinois in June. Yeah, me too. Um, that was an experiential um, highlight for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And anyone who listens to this show is absolutely welcome and should attend. And mm-hmm. I bet you most of the people who have attended have listened to this podcast because we forced it upon them during <laughs> the sure conference <laughs> uh, by recording a live episode as part of the conference proceedings. Yeah. So, uh, I it's would one say way to get an audience, eh, Matt? darn near 100 uh, <laughs> percent at least have heard one episode of it. Um, yeah. But I, I would say another one, a, b- a big highlight for me, another big highlight is um, uh, the Texas Book Festival. So oh, yeah. me living mm-hmm. in Austin, Texas and having like 
three or four hundred riders come to Austin every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the past, I don't know, six, seven years, eight years, it's been great for me to be somewhat involved as a moderator. Yep. And so this this year I got to moderate a panel um, with Gabe Habash, author of Stephen Florida, and Simeon Marsalis, author of As Lies to Grin. And I'll talk about both of those books a little bit later, but um, cool. that for me is like a, a life highlight. What about you? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, life highlights for me were, um, so before Flannery was born in March, some friends of mine threw something called a baby bachelor party for me, which is something they do um, for a guy before his first baby arrives. It's kind of like, the idea is that it's maybe more important than like your bachelor party before you get married because your life really changes when you have a kid <laughs> more than it does when you get married. That's um, true. Yeah, so we rented this cabin on, on a nearby island uh, near Vancouver Island and just rented this crazy awesome place and went to this frisbee golf course in the woods that has 27 holes and just did that and hung out and played games and uh, drank good beer and it was awesome. So that was, a, that was a great time. And then having a child, of course, was uh, maybe even a, a more memorable experience. <laughs> Congrats, <laughs> so, Dave. Yes. Had his first uh, offspring. So. Yeah. So in April, we had we had Flannery. And that's been a really cool nine months since then, man. It's been um, different than anything I've experienced to this point in a way that is more uh, significant and magical than, than pretty much anything else. So that's been cool. Uh, of course, the ISU conference was amazing. Um, I, I had the, the really bad realization on the last day when we were hanging out downtown in Bloomington that uh, I wouldn't be able to go next year in 2018. Work, and the, and the plot thickens in that it uh, looks like we're going to be in New Zealand probably for three years now for Rachel oh. to do her PhD. <laughs> so oh I'm probably going to miss three in a row here by the oh look of it. <laughs> but it's a long you know, time, Dave. It's a long time. Fingers crossed for an Australian uh, Wallace conference that I can hop over to. Uh, that coincides with our schedule. So, you know, that'd be good. Uh, life low light for me this year is uh, maybe as a result of having a child, I did not go to Netrunner Worlds this year in November. Mm. Kind, of, kind of a low light. Uh, but then something really cool happened, like I think it was about in the last week of December, uh, Robin O'Neill put a contest on Twitter, which was if you could name what TV show the still that she put up was. And so I was sitting there on our on our concavity twitter just waiting for it because i saw it on instagram like five minutes before and it was a picture of this show called today's special which very familiar with growing up that's a canadian tv show it's about this uh, mannequin that comes to life in a department store every night and you, you don't have to explain out. it to me dave you know, oh, i'm aware i was we, a fan we've of talked the about this. <laughs> so i saw it and instantly i just wrote today's special dave from from our account and uh, and so I was the first person, and so um, Robin is making me a, a unique um, commissioned drawing, which is so rad. I can't wait for it. And so she asked what I wanted. So Rachel and I talked about it, and we thought it'd be cool for her to do, you know, one of her landscapes with the sweatpant guys, which I love, mm-hmm. and but to have characters from today's special in it. Um, and then maybe also she had the idea of throwing in maybe a few characters from say Infinite Jest. Um, you know, maybe a few other like pop culture things that we've connected over, like Twin Peaks or something like that. So uh, I'm very excited to see what she dreams up for that and to and to receive it. So another life, like little life highlight there. So thanks, Robin. And, well, and uh, yeah, 
that that leads me into my discussion of best books of 2017. Right on. Which Let's at do the it. top of the list was uh, Robin O'Neill's book. I have that on mine too. Uh, Not a novel. Which 20, is 20 20 years cool. of drawings. 20 years of drawings. And uh, definitely a life highlight was getting to meet Robin in mm-hmm. Austin and uh, have her sign uh, a book for me and a book for you. Yeah, and, which is uh, so generous again. Thank you so much for sending that up. And I am uh, legitimately thrilled that this book exists out in the world. And obviously mm-hmm. we love her work. It's the logo of our show. Yep. And we hope that other people like her work and buy her book. We'll put a link to it in the show notes here. Definitely. Um, but it is uh, a highlight for me to see all of her work kind of in one place because before I had mm-hmm. experienced it kind of in all different contexts. Yeah. And um, I was going to ask you what was kind of your favorite drawing or set of drawings in that book because mm-hmm. um, for me, the stuff that I like, and maybe you've already alluded to it, but my my favorite stuff in there is actually the the landscapes where there's like very little happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's got some drawings, right? Where there's tons of people, um, yeah. and they're moving really all busy. Around. Yeah. And those are super interesting because the, mm-hmm. especially if you see them at full size or you see close up and you can get close to them, there's tons of detail in them that you can yeah. really examine. It's hard to see them in a book, but mm-hmm. for me, uh, the ones that are really quiet and still, I think are really, mm-hmm. um, interesting to me uh, in a way that uh, I go back to those more than the ones with like the little guys, even, even yeah, though yeah. I like the little guys a lot. I like, like the little hell guys. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, the hell, but I like the, the animals too. She's got some with like a horse, yeah. um, a dinosaur. And I yeah. really like the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the animals a lot. Yeah. Those are great. Um, yeah. My favorite ones are, I mean, I, I tend to gravitate towards art that's really busy like I like I really love Peter Bruegel for that reason and and most of the contemporary artists that I like kind of follow in that similar uh, vein I'm trying to just I'm just looking through a site right now trying to find the one of there's like all the little men flying up to the mountain it's like a mm-hmm. it's like a grassy landscape in the foreground and then this like very distant set of mountain ranges I'm not seeing it on her site but that one is is in my top two and then of course the one that our logo is is based on but yeah the the sweatsuit guys kill me i just love them they remind me of like um of uh chaz tenenbaum from the royal tenenbaums i just think of like a bunch of little uzi and re's and chaz's running around yes, yes. she told <laughs> a great story things um oh in austin she gave a, a brilliant talk uh before she did a book signing and right. she she um explained uh, some of the characters names in the book because uh-huh. you know th- those little guys they they reoccur so some of them yeah. do have names uh-huh. and um <laughs> one of them's named is miami dave and <laughs> she was saying that uh she was like during the 2000 election mm. the recount was like listening to the tv kind of half interestedly and overheard them they kept talking about miami dade county like recounts <laughs> and she's like are they saying miami dave uh-huh. and she's like that's an awesome name like who's miami dave <laughs> had to be told that it was miami dade so she um she named one of those guys in the sweatsuit the miami dave oh that's amazing <laughs> nice yeah she she also gave us a very lovely shout out on one of her recent episodes uh so right back at you robin and I would put that as a, a podcast. If listeners like our podcast, they should definitely listen to 
uh, me reading stuff by Robin O'Neill. You can search for it in um, iTunes or Google Play or whatever, and me reading stuff will come up with pretty entertaining podcast from oh, Robin yeah. O'Neill. So fun, so funny, so poignant. She talks about Wallace sometimes. She reads Wallace sometimes, uh, and we we're we've become quite good friends through the internet. And now you've met her, so that's really rad. Absolutely, yeah. So, so that, that was at the top of my list was yeah. a Robin O'Neill book. What else did you have at the top of your list, Dave? All right. Uh, a couple books I read this year, mostly on account of, you know, things you've recommended over the last while or things that people I've met at Wallace conferences have talked about or recommended. I read 1004 by Ben Lerner this year, mm. which I thought was, you know, pretty great. Um, we've talked about it on the show briefly, I think. I think we talked about it with um, Lucas Thompson, um, and I think he's the one mm. who mentioned it to me that the first time I heard about it, it reminded me a lot of this book called thieves of Manhattan. Have you ever read that? I have not. Adam Langer, I think his name is, um, just like a a book about a guy writing a book, basically like with book money, book grant money that he got. Um, I thought that book was cool. Marfa Texas is in it. We've talked about that recently. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think, I think that, um, 1004 is in contention for, one of the great Marfa novels, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris Krause, I Love Dick. I don't know. That would be in contention as well. I don't know oh, if yeah. you're, you're familiar with that. I've not read that. I've heard of that. Yeah, I haven't read it though. Uh, it was also made into an Amazon TV show mm-hmm. um, with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, the Bacon. Golden Globes, it was nominated for stuff. Yeah, Kevin Sunday. Bacon plays Dick. And if you haven't right. seen that, I highly recommend it. Oh, you watched the show? Yeah, I watched hey, the whole thing. all right, Matt Booker. All Actually, right. that was my, so now I'm done. I said one TV show. <laughs> Does it have to be based on a novel for you to watch the show version? Oh, yes. Okay. Or it could be a documentary about a writer, of which uh, I have yeah. another one I'll mention later. But Oh, good. Um, All right. Cool. Now, 1004 is a good one, but, yeah. you know, um, keep going. Yeah. Um, I read The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson this year, which um, I kind of I alluded to this at my talk at the ISU conference that I kind of set my talk up as kind of a series of vignettes, like life vignettes in the style of, of that book. Um, so I quite like that. Um, read a couple of George Saunders books this year, Civil War Land and Bad Decline. Mm-hmm. And of course, Lincoln and the Bardo, which I loved. It's probably my favorite book this year. Um, and if you haven't read Civil War Land and Bad Decline, go get it. And especially that title story is, I think, one of his best stories for sure. It's Ma- amazing. Yeah, it's definitely one of his best things ever. Yeah, it's outrageously good. Uh, so, so those were... I'll stop there, let you do a few, and then we can we can bounce it back over or something. <laughs> yeah, I really liked uh, Sea Oak, too, a story he wrote called Sea Oak, which mm-hmm. I think they made it to a movie recently or a TV Whoa. show or something. I haven't really? seen it, but hmm. I was like, I don't know how they could do it. But Where did that appear? Um, it was like in some publication, right? Yeah, it was in a journal. I fr- we'll yeah. have to link mm-hmm. to it in the show notes. But um, there, I-, I think there is a Wallace uh, reference in that story, by the oh, way. Yeah. Um, in the story, there's a reference to self-storage parkway, which is mm-hmm. a reference that Wallace, I think, picked up and used in The Pale King. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty small, but I, mm. I noticed it. Yeah, sweet. Um, so my, I've got, like, several categories of books, and I'm going to start <laughs> with, like, uh, things that came to mind immediately when I said what were, like, memorable reading experiences. Yeah of books published in 2017. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I mentioned um, uh, Gabe Habash. I read his book in uh, for the Texas Book Festival, but I I also read it before that just because I wanted to read it. 
and I know Gabe uh, through Publishers Weekly, and uh-huh. I was really looking forward to his book coming out, I think in June, yeah. late May. And um, it's uh, called Stephen Florida. And I think there are also some infinite jest references in his book, but mm. I won't give them away. Nice. Um, but it's also a book uh, about a wrestler in college who is <laughs> okay. uh, just obsessed with becoming, uh, winning the championship for his uh, weight class. Hmm. And the voice in it is just super unique. You know, it's not uh, like a literary person is a wrestler, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's so well done in order to kind of maintain that voice throughout the whole novel and still keep it interesting and you know, somehow add some literary mm-hmm. qualities to it. So there is a lot of um, little asides and voices and stuff that come mm-hmm. out in that book. Um, so I, I really like it and recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Now, interestingly, his wife, uh, Julie Bunton, also published a novel last year called Marlena. Yeah. And I really loved that book. And mm-hmm. I, uh, gave it to my wife and she read that book and she also really loved it. And, um, I, you know, I'm not going to do a plot summary of the book. It's <laughs> about, it's, it's about a, a, a girl, uh, high school age in Minnesota. Um, and it's kind of a coming of age and it's about like kind of losing a friend in high school. Hmm. And, uh, I, I just, it's not a YA book though. It is very much, I, uh, I felt like a literary novel mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, really enjoyed um, getting invested in those characters. Um, And I I really uh, would point to that book. Anything else Julie writes, like I would buy sight unseen uh, Mm -hmm. after, after reading that. Wow. So that, that was probably my top two novels. Cool. Um, I have two nonfiction books I want to mention, and then I'm going to pass it back to you. Um, One is uh, Sarah Gerard who I think I've mentioned on the show before, but she wrote a novel called Binary Star uh, Hmm. that is fantastic. If you haven't read it, uh, it's amazing. She did like graduate work in astrophysics. Oh, yeah, cool. uh, But it's also about like a male and a female being like binary stars and having kind of a toxic relationship. Hmm. Um, But her new book is called Sunshine State, and it's a book of essays about the state of Florida and growing up in Florida. Hmm. And uh, Sarah Gerard, I would say, is in that category of like, whatever she does, I will buy it, Mm -hmm. Uh, sight unseen. And I did get to meet her at the Texas Book Festival this year, which was fantastic. Cool. And um, uh, but I really recommend her writing. Uh, The other nonfiction book I want to mention is uh, Stephen Moore published a new book in 2017. Uh, It's a really thick compendium called My Back Pages. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Moore is um, well known in Wallace circles for being the managing editor of the review of contemporary fiction and really one of the first readers of infinite jest. Uh, And he published that essay on um, the howling fantods about comparing the first draft of infinite jest to the published book Hmm. and what, and what made the cut and what didn't. And for this book, he's revised that essay somewhat and expanded it and included several other essays on um, Wallace. Hmm. And he's also uh, a major scholar of uh, William Gaddis hmm. and uh, has also written extensively on other postmodernists, including David Markson, yep. including um, Alexander Theroux, Gilbert Sorrentino. 
Uh, so his taste really aligns with mine. Hmm. And uh, I really love this collection. He's collected all of his book reviews, all of his l- sort of literary essays into one, oh, yeah, nice. um, one fat book. And if you also haven't seen his history of the novels, there's like, I think three volumes now, two volumes that are just amazing. <laughs> um, his- we talked about this at the conference, Dave. I don't know if you were there of like talking about Stephen Moore's um, history of the novel books mm. but they, but they're incredible where did the conversation um, occur was it like on the back porch of <laughs> of the rental house <laughs> you know what N- now that i think about it this was actually a conversation we had probably two or three years ago at the hilton there oh the, yeah okay. at the, or at the marriott when it was at the oh, marriott yeah. that conference yeah. um but i remember talking to several people including um i think tom moore and alex Moran, oh, yeah yeah um about these books so good dudes if you have if both. if you haven't read Stephen Moore, you should, and um, if you have, you should definitely pick up my back pages. It kind of flew under the radar, but hmm. he did have an interview on um, Bookworm with Michael Silverblatt oh, talking nice. about it yeah. in April. So that'll put uh, you on the map for real, for so, real, <laughs> for real. So uh, I, that's kind of like uh, some highlights for me. Were reading yeah. all those books. Was there a new Knefsgard book this year, Matt? No. So there was a book five paperback came out yeah. in okay. 2017. And so a lot of people just like the design of the paperbacks better. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so I, I buy the paperbacks too. And um, I, maybe I finished it before this, but I, I've read, you know, we should get in the fall of 2018, we should get book six and, th- mm. and that will be very exciting. But mm-hmm. yes, Canal Scar did also come out with these new books that are like the seasons. There's one called Autumn, mm-hmm. one called Winter, but they're pretty underwhelming, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Uh, so I didn't put that on my list. But um, yeah. but yeah, book five I thought was amazing. And yeah. any, anyone who wants to talk about book five, like let's take this offline and <laughs> could just, just, just do a whole nother podcast about it. I mean, it's... it's is, there, is there like a subreddit about him, about these books? There's there is. Be. And I subscribe to it, and yeah. I have posted in it. Yes, and you and you manage the listserv for, <laughs> yeah. for it as well. <laughs> Not quite, but wouldn't surprise um, me, dude. Wouldn't I, surprise I, me. I have started a little project of um, mapping out a lot of the locations in Norway that go through the series. Oh yeah, um, and he moves back and forth in Sweden and travels a bit in Denmark and mm-hmm. in Europe, but really in Norway, I, w- I really. Um, have got interested in just the geography hmm. of those books because it's pretty integral, I think, to the whole read is um, the locations that he describes. is right. pretty vivid. So. His sense of place is inherent to like very, who he is as a person, I'd imagine. Yes, very yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Cool. Have you ever been to Norway? No. Yeah, me neither. I'd like to go. It sounds expensive, though. But we have been to Sweden about five or six times. And What? Yeah. We have some really good friends that live there, so we went there for their wedding and then a bunch of other times when we've kind of been you know, in Europe. And when, when we lived in Israel, we went there a couple times and stuff like that. So, uh, hit up Denmark for a week too. And that was amazing, but not Norway yet. So it's up there. Yeah. I just haven't been a big traveler to be honest with you, but, um, yeah, I mean, Austin sounds pretty good, so you don't really need to leave too much. I I just like being at home. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's good too. But I also cool. don't like like uh, if you get that far north, like the the sun sets at like four p.m. Yeah, uh, and or and conversely, get, like, at night it it sets at like midnight. So there were yeah. times like in Sweden in the summer, it'd be one a.m. and it'd just be getting like kind of dark, 
and it'd be dark for about three hours and then 4 a.m. It would just like sunrise would come again. It's weird. I like more consistency than that. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to sleep with all that light. But uh, yeah. Um, I, the familiar. Are you have you been reading the, the Danny Lesky novel series? Oh, man. So no. I know those um, have a lot of Wallace Wallace references going on. Yeah. And I, I want I haven't to either yet. Um, and I've sort of thought like I should retire a year early so that I could just sit down and, <laughs> and read all of them. Uh-huh. I mean, it's right up my alley. Like I want to read it. I love House of Leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, some of his other stuff is a little bit too weird for me. Like it's more, it's more f- of the form factor rather than the book, but the familiar right. from what I've dipped into a little bit actually looks really interesting and it's more straightforward narrative, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, than like the 50 year sword. I don't know if you read that one. Yeah, I read that one. Uh, uh, anyways, I, I really want to get into that, but I, I've not picked not it up. Dipped. So. There's five books now, I think. Right. Yep. Yeah. So that's a bit of a bit of an undertaking. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I read the Flannery O'Connor short story collection. A good man is hard to find from cover to cover for the first time this year. And that is a ride. It should be right up your alley. Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> I particularly love the story called Good Country People, which is about a kind of a, not a, quite a spinster. I, I mean, I guess for the time, but this woman who's like in her early 30s living with her mom, she's unmarried. And this Bible salesman, you know, comes to the door and like stays for dinner and stuff. And basically eventually like goes in this kind of romantic escapade with the daughter and like talks her into what she thinks is going to be sleeping with him in this, in this barn. Do you know the story? I, I read this in college, like 20 yeah. years ago, Dave, but, but yeah. what, ha- instead what he does is he gets her to a point where she's, you know, willing. And then he steals her prosthetic leg and runs away with it. And that's like the ending of the story. <laughs> she just gets rused by this Bible salesman and he just keeps her leg. Um, that was pretty great. I don't Super know romantic. What it means? Romantic. I mean, it's yeah, it's obviously about the darkness of human nature and that you can't trust anyone, you know, even a Bible salesman who obviously is uh, has ulterior ulterior motives. But uh, that was a fun read. Uh, we read it out loud to, to Flannery when she was about four days old or three days old or something, and that was her first story. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, starting it off right. You know what I'm saying? I also read Don DeLillo's Great Jones Street, which we talked about with Matt Luder, because he, uh, him and I had that that book challenge where, he, you know, I had to read that, which was very happy to do. And then he read The Instructions by Adam Levin, which is about eight times longer. Um, always love some DeLillo. And then speaking of books that have Wallace references, I read The Sellout by Paul Beattie. My uh, thesis supervisor emailed me about it this year, put me onto it. And I like that book a lot, too. That was a good one about kind of race relations in the U S and uh, yeah, that, that was yeah. on my list. I, I still haven't got to it, but yeah, I want to, I want to read that. Yeah. It's quite funny. It's, it's very satirical. I think you'd probably dig it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you got into the, the eugenides book, fresh complaint yet? The short stories? No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, I read I the first to... three and then it got recalled from the library. So <laughs> I can't yeah. say I've, I've fully read it, but what I did read was pretty good. I liked it. You know, I gotta say, I didn't love the marriage plot, and oh, so really? I, no. And after that, even though, I was like, <laughs> even though Wallace is kind of a cipher character there, maybe because even though he Wallace denies it, <laughs> because yeah, Leonard. Um, no, I just didn't love it, and yeah. I mean, 
it was just all right for me. And so yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I just moved on from, mm -hmm. from eugenities for a bit. I mean, I'll, maybe I'll come back to it, but I, I just didn't love it. Yeah. Um, I did read Steve Erickson. Uh, mm -hmm. His new book is called Shadow Bond. Did oh, we talk I'm, about I've this? Been, yeah, I've been wanting to read that. We haven't talked about it too much, but it has come up. It's really true. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. I was really excited when I just even read like the the summary of what this book was about. Uh -huh. um, so for people who don't know, the book was about um, the Twin Towers just suddenly reappear in oh, uh, right. yeah. North Dakota, South Dakota, mm -hmm. and they're completely real and they're there and they're still and they're completely unoccupied except for one person on um, one of the top floors in a hmm. conference room is the stillborn twin of Elvis Presley. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so <laughs> what Elvis a premise, Pre right? So Elvis Presley, when he was born, he did have a twin who, right, yeah. who died. Uh, and this book is about that kid, but, like Elvis's music still sort of exists in this world. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of hard to describe because there's like elements of pure fantasy in it. And then there's elements of pure reality where, right. you know, people are driving down the street and are like, or the highway. And they're like, Oh my God, there's twin towers. Mm -hmm. um, Magical realism. It, it's, I mean, and I, if you've read Erickson's other books, some of them, I, I think they kind of fit with this, um, kind of narrative style that he has. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought this was him uh, just totally confident and having fun and mm -hmm. just experimenting at his best. So mm -hmm. I thought it was really well done. Shadow Bond. That's cool. That kind of the description of what you just gave reminds me of something that, that like Chris Adrian would write. Um, so who's uh, been published by McSweeney's a couple of times. Yeah. We've talked about Chris Adrian. I like, I like him. Yeah. I've only read the, um, the children's hospital. Yeah. But. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, did you read a naked singularity by Sergio de la Pava? So I, that book, yes, I, yeah. um, Any good? I gotta say, oh man, what's the story? So the story is I got this book long time ago, probably mm -hmm. four, four, five, six. I don't remember whatever he first wrote it. 2013, um, I think maybe. Nah, before that. Okay. His wife was his publicist and he self published in oh, 2008. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So back then, like 10 years ago, right? He self published it and he sent out some galleys and I got one of them. Okay. And I was like, I was like, what is this self published galley I'm getting in the mail? <laughs> and like, I, I read a little bit of it and I was like, nah, it's not for me. And I totally sold it. I got rid of it. Mm. <laughs> and like, now I'm kicking myself because I was like, uh, so many people have recommended it to me. I wish I had kept it so I could pick it up and um, mm. give it another try. But I gave it a try and I was like, nah, it's kind of like a loose baggy monster, which I often like books like that. Hmm. Uh, not always, but usually. Um, and that one, I don't know. I was just like, maybe it was the packaging of the book or something. It turned me off. Did you say a loose baggy monster? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't come up with that. I'm stealing I mean, like, that. Is that like the somewhere. form of the book or is that like yeah, what, what the yeah, book's like, about? No, it's the form of the book. It's a <laughs> loose baggy monster. Is that what Infinite Jest is? Is it a loose baggy monster? Kind of. Oh, okay. Cool. I mean, it's kind of loose in that it's like all the mm -hmm. parts are not tightly assembled. You know, they're kind yeah. of loose. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I like it's it. kind of it's kind of baggy. It's kind of a monster. You know, it's a thousand <laughs> pages. I think Naked Singularity is like 900 pages. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I've I mean, just kind of you... seen it around in a couple of places lately and, and have been interested in, in looking at it. Did you pick um, it up? No, I haven't. Uh, so the three books that I went to buy on Boxing Day, which is something you guys don't have in the U.S., but it's kind of like Black Friday here. It's the day after Christmas. Never where, heard like, of it. All the stores have like their big blowout sales. Um, so I went to a, a good bookstore looking for Shadow Bond, specifically that book, and then The Mystery Dot Doc. Do you know that one? Speaking of really huge books. I am aware of it. I have not read it. Okay. Um, yeah. the, the guy I think I Matt, just I think Matt Luter there. read it this year, and so and I'd seen it in a couple other places. But that book was was forty dollars on the shelf, and it came in like Saran wrap, basically, because it's so big they got to contain it somehow. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, but yeah, just wondering if I, you read it. I want it. No, I read Stephen Moore reviewed it in the Washington Post. Oh yeah. And uh, I really trust his reviews and he was pretty generous to it because mm. it didn't get a lot of high profile reviews like that. And so it was on my radar last, you know, in the fall, I guess, mm-hmm. around November, December. Um, and I, I will get to it eventually, but I, it looks really interesting to me. Yeah. It looks c- kind of structured similar to um, Evan Dara's Lost Scrapbook. I don't know if you've mm. read that. I have not. You should. All my blind spots come out every year on this episode, and I just cry in shame in the corner after. Sorry, you're going to talk about music, and I'm just going to keep my mouth shut for like 15 minutes. So. Oh, that's good. Uh, I got one more book on my list, Skippy Dies. It's the book that I'm currently reading right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we talked about it with Tim Groenland in like episode four or five. Yeah, Paul um, Murray. Yeah. yeah, Paul Murray set in Ireland. It's quite funny. I'm about a third of the way through it about 200 and something pages and quite liking it. it reminds me in some ways of infinite jest like the in it or the uh enfield tennis academy kids you know it's a bunch of kids like with wild hormones and and being hilarious and it's kind of got that vibe to it so that's good i i didn't put any books on my list that i have not finished dave so. oh okay <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well you know i started reading this book maybe in like september october and i'm only like a, qu- a third of no, the way man. through it because i just instagram just eats all my time and i just yeah, so right. sad about my life that i don't read more books <laughs> now you you have a baby man you're in the shit right that now it's too. very that it's very hard to find time <laughs> yeah any uh any others stand up for you that so, you read this year matt so yeah i do 45 have a, have others a bit more. <laughs> um well i tried to just go off of memory and mm-hmm. Uh, so I have another category of books, and there are four mm. or five books in this category, which are not super literary, I think. Um, but this is just to show that, like, I don't just read highbrow fiction. <laughs> You're not a total snob. Right. And um, I actually enjoy reading for all sorts of reasons mm. and purposes. And I know most readers that I like, they, they do the same thing, and they learn new things, and they... Mm-hmm introduced me to new things so anyways with that said um the here's the four books that i read that were um not super literary but interesting and worth putting on my end of year list Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um one is tom parada's new book called mrs fletcher Mm -hmm. uh i don't know if you've read tom parada who wrote um election and little children and uh abstinence teacher but i've read all of his books i love him Hmm. Uh, he's to me, he's kind of like middle brow, but mm-hmm. whenever he comes out with a new book, I inevitably buy it right away and read it in like a weekend <laughs> and I just awesome. devour it. Yeah. Um, so I recommend Tom Parada in general, but his new book, Mrs. Fletcher is also really good. Cool. Um, it's fiction. It's a novel. Correct. Yep. It's a fiction. 
Um, there's also a uh, three nonfiction books I will mention. One is called The Long Haul mm-hmm. by Finn Murphy. And this is a nonfiction book about being a long haul truck driver. Oh, cool. And, and I learned a lot from this book and I thought it was really well done. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I just devoured it. I couldn't get enough of his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a mover. So he's like moved oh, yeah. someone's house and packs it in like 18 wheeler and drive it across the country. And mm-hmm. he sort of talks about how prestigious that is amongst truck drivers, but also how stressful and hard it is. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it reminds me of like John McPhee books. Um, but I recommend that book, Finn Murphy. Cool. Uh, another one I really devoured was called the stranger in the woods by Michael Finkel. And this is a story of the North pond hermit who was discovered in Maine mm-hmm. as living in the woods for like 30 years, uh, undiscovered. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he was discovered like Thoreau or something. Uh, you mean he read Henry, Henry David Thoreau? <laughs> yeah. No. Well, what's interesting about this guy is that he didn't really give a crap about any of that, and ultimately <laughs> he was he was like a thief because he survived off of like breaking into other people's homes oh, yeah. and, and stealing their food. Um, but he just I, I can't imagine spending one night outside in Maine, like it's so <laughs> cold. But this dude spent. Every 30 winters in a row and survived outdoors in Maine. Like yeah. it's phenomenal. Crazy. Um, but just reading about his story of like how he did that and why mm-hmm. uh, it was fascinating. Yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, and then the fourth book in this category that I will mention is um, also set partly in Maine, which is John Hodgman's new book called Vacation Land. Hmm. And I devoured this book. I really loved it. And it's uh, a little different than his other books, which I also love very much a sense of humor that um, jives with mine. Mm -hmm. Um, But he writes essays kind of about being an adult, being a parent. Oh, yeah, Um, that's your wheelhouse. uh, That is definitely my wheelhouse. (laughs) Uh, And especially just, um, you know, his his mother dies and then he inherits a house and sells it and... um, spends the summer up in Maine along with another writer, Ben Marcus is up there in Maine and talks about renting a house for the summer in Maine and coming back to New York. And it's just very, um, very much his voice. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm the target audience for this guy. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've mm-hmm. been a fan of John Hodgman going back into, uh, 1999. I remember mm-hmm. meeting him in New York. Oh, cool. He was writing for McSweeney's, was an early website. Believe it or not, the web did exist in 1999. <laughs> I remember, yeah. And um, he used to write a column for McSweeney's called Ask a Former Professional Literary Agent. Oh, that sounds um, good. And most of the questions revolved around whether or not The Lord of the Rings was a single novel <laughs> or a trilogy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Literally every week the question would be like, is the Lord of the Rings a single? It would be like a long buildup, but ultimately the question would be like, is it a trilogy or a novel? Awesome. Um, And my wife actually worked in uh, book publishing as an editorial assistant at Penguin in New York in the late 90s Mm -hmm. and has some interactions with him before he was a former professional literary agent, but a current (laughs) professional literary agent. Right. Yeah. And um, in this book, he talks a little bit about being um, a literary agent and why he left that business, hmm. which I found super fascinating to read like 
19 years after the fact. Or yeah, right? no kidding. 18 years after the fact. So. Yeah, no doubt. Um, hmm. So that's it for me in terms of books. I do have a few more to mention, but I'm going to let you talk for a bit now. We uh, Speaking of Lord of the Rings, every time we mention to someone that we're going to New Zealand, they the first, like, without fail, the first thing they ask, are you going to go to Hobbiton? Yep. I'm just like, no. <laughs> I don't even know where it is. It's a huge country. I mean, <laughs> I'm probably not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, the the world is is quite obsessed, you know, with with, well, at least Peter Jackson. I don't know about Tolkien, but I think so. <laughs> well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's about it for books for me that I I read in the last so, year. I, I hope to read more in in twenty eighteen, and I think that I probably will because we're going to a city in New Zealand that I know zero people in, and I imagine I'll have a little bit more free time <laughs> so that's that's one of my goals just get a library card and just just start hitting it hard yeah you should i yeah. i have one movie to mention and then mm. another set of books so cool. maybe if you want to um, transition to movies sure yeah that's that's probably the closest analog to uh to literary fiction is is the film um so what was your movie matt uh, Madagascar well, two. No, uh, I did see the Last Dory. Jedi. Star Wars. I did. See <laughs> oh that. yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, it's, felt, it's fun, right? Like it was very fun, and it was, um, you know, adults could enjoy it as well as children. Yeah. Um, was Star Wars like a really big part of your childhood? Do you have a lot of nostalgia for it? Very much. Okay. I and don't like. I didn't. I never watched it as a kid. I watched it. I think in my early twenties. I was like. You know, I hear about Star Wars a lot. I should probably watch these movies. So I watched them like oh my God. 21 or something. Yeah. So I don't have quite the same fascination as a lot of my friends do with it. But um, you know, for what it's worth, I thought the movie was, was fun. Some of the visuals were really compelling. Um, no, I think it might have been my first movie. Yeah. Uh, so whenever I was about a year old, my brother was yeah. four. He begged to go. And uh, we were living in Colorado and Denver. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we have pictures like this is 1977 mm-hmm. and uh, we have pictures like with Darth Vader. Like there was a guy <laughs> dressed up as Darth Vader in the awesome. lobby of the theater. Oh, that's cool. Um, so no, for years, like uh, 1981 Christmas, I think it was Christmas 81. I got the ad ats, the walkers. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you I have like pictures six like or something at the time. Yeah, yeah. I got pictures on my Flickr account of like me opening those <laughs> star Wars toys. So it was very, I mean, that was like very common. There's nothing unique about that. But. Right. Well, that's cool. There's a guy in Victoria, the city I live in who is downtown often sort of in the really like high traffic tourist area by the parliament buildings, who's dressed as Darth Vader and he plays a violin but he doesn't play like nice classical music. He plays like really dark, like avant-garde type stuff. Like sounds like Godspeed You Black Emperor. If you're familiar with that band from Montreal, just like kind of anarchist, like post-rock stuff. Um, and it's probably like the coolest thing that's going on in the city that I can think of. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty amazing to see. It's <laughs> um, like but- hundreds of tourists, and he's just playing this like really off-the-wall stuff. Rules. <laughs> I have to say that was actually not what I wanted to talk about. Star Wars was um, <laughs> the one movie I had uh, to recommend was I watched on Netflix and it's this uh, Joan Didion documentary called oh, the center. Yeah, the cool. center will not hold. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big Joan Didion fan and yeah, getting to good. see her nephew Griffin Dunn um, 
produced and directed the the documentary and I just love that. I don't know if you'd get mm. as much out of it if you're not already a Joan Didion fan. Right, yeah. Um, but uh, I just paused it and rewatched parts of it oh, and cool. um, I really, you know, if you are a fan, I think that it, it will be very um, moving and, and touching to hear her talk about her daughter and, you know, her husband. Her, and her husband, life yeah. And, yeah. Hmm. Wow. So that's my that's my movie. That's the sum total of my movies that I want to talk about. As I mentioned, I have really bad taste in <laughs> in, in in music and uh, just don't. I don't think you have bad taste. I just don't think you prioritize those things as much as you do, you know, reading. Oh, that's partly true. I just also yeah. don't really know how to talk intelligently about music. <laughs> Uh, so I I learn a lot from you in each one of these. Like anytime oh, you put out, you're gonna put out a like a Spotify playlist or Apple Music or something, right? It's man, it's ready to rock. I've been working on this uh, best of year <laughs> playlist all year for you guys. We're gonna it's, put it link it's in all the show Dave. notes. Uh, this time I, th- I guess it is. Yeah, you didn't have any last minute additions, hey? You can no. Let, let me know and I'll throw no, it. I thought about it. I looked at my phone and I was like, uh-huh. not even gonna go there. Just no. gonna let. let <laughs> Cool. Um, in terms of films, movies that I saw this year that I thought were were great, uh, Moonlight was very high on that list for me. Um, did you get a chance to see that? It, it won uh, I want Best to. Picture. It looks good. Yeah, it looks in good. In a very weird twist. Uh, do you remember the debacle on stage that happened at the Oscars last year? I did see the highlight yeah. reel of that. Yeah, that was that was something. Um, <laughs> I also watched. Uh, I watched this like two weeks ago. This. A mockumentary film from New Zealand. I had a friend who was like, "Oh, if you're going to New Zealand, watch What We Do in the Shadows. It's a mockumentary about vampires who live in New Zealand. Wow! And it is amazing. Like if you're if you've ever seen the Christopher Guest movies, like Best in Show or A Mighty Wind, uh, this is very kind of similar, but even more absurd because it's about actual vampires with like vampire powers. So it's kind of you know magic realism. It's it's really funny and good. Um, it's on Netflix, so you can you can check it out. What's it called again? Then? What we do in the shadows. What, what we do in the shadows. Okay. Um, the the guy who directed Thor Ragnarok this year, he also directed this. I can't remember his name. It's kind of a an off the wall name, and also it's got um, one of the guys from Flight of the Concords is in it. Jermaine. Uh, I've seen that show. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So the taller guy with the glasses, he's one of the main characters in it, and he's very funny. Um, Another comedy that I liked this year was The Big Sick, which is um, about a guy who's like dating this girl and she, you know, gets kind of a terminal illness and about him and her parents and they're, you know, an interracial couple. So there's like all kinds of uh, race politics involved and it's it's very funny uh, and and quite charming. Um, I saw a couple other like dramas like Manchester by the Sea, Hell or High Water. Uh, Anomalisa, which is the Charlie Kaufman film with the puppets, which we talked about with Allard a couple episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, um, he liked that. Yeah. I liked all those films. Um, Manchester by the Sea, I thought was really interesting because it was some like some of the scenes in it are so funny, and then alternatingly, some of the scenes are some of the, some of the most gut wrenching things I've ever seen on screen. So it's it's really this roller coaster ride of just getting yanked from like one emotion to another and it's just like a really weird emotional experience to watch it um some of the acting in it like michelle williams there's a scene with her that i 
it's like this is the best acting I've probably ever seen in my life. So that is that was one of one of the highlight films that I saw. It was also up for best picture last year. Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So those are those are a few movies that I that I got out to got around to. Um, do you want to go to music? Do you want to go to television? podcasts um so i i will go to a couple podcasts yeah, that right. i liked and then i will go back to i still have one category of books, oh, books. That, all right cool um i'll come back to um so for podcasts to me the highlight of the year was really s town s town yeah. uh and so i good. i just loved this show um partly because i grew up in rural texas and i felt like mm. a lot of the kind of flavor of the small town life he got really right and yep. um, East Texas, if you have not been there to the backwoods that borders Louisiana, um, mm-hmm. it is the deep south. Mm-hmm. So Texas is big enough to where it's got the west, it's got, you know, coastal areas, it's got uh, northern plains, and it's it's got the deep south in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was very literary, too, the way the story yeah, was told totally. and the kind of allusions to Faulkner that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've read A Rose for Emily after you. I went back and no, read I that after, oh, yeah. after um, you know, the, the kind of yeah. outro song of the yeah. podcast was A Rose for Emily. And mm-hmm. the story, uh, you see why they chose that after you go back and read it. Mm. Um, I also really like this show called Reply All. Dude, that's on my uh, list too. Reply all um, episodes one hundred and two and one hundred and three are the only ones I've listened to. Is this but, in India where he goes yes, to India? Oh that's my god, the one. it's so it good, fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like I like all their episodes, but I mean that oh. was definitely some of the highlights of the year for me. Oh um, man, and the guy Alex Goldman. I love him. It, He's so yeah, funny. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he's no, a big, he's a big DFW fan. Oh my gosh, let's and get him on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Alex. I want to talk about video games with him. I mean, you're formally invited <laughs> onto the show. Right? Um, but no, he's he's definitely posted about uh, Infinite Jest and Wallace a few times. Oh, excellent. Um, but that reply all if you haven't listened to it, it's one of the just general best podcasts mm-hmm. around. Um, uh, Michael O'Connell put me onto it. I think he posted on Facebook or something. I saw it. And oh, really? Listened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is great. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I really like that show, Reply All. And I also really like um, a show called Heavyweight. Mm-hmm. I think it came out oh, in 2016. Sounds familiar. Yeah. What's it about again? Um, and it's about it's it's like one guy and each episode is him trying to, like, help someone right a wrong. Mm. And it's like kind of lifting this heavy weight off of them. Like mm. Something bad mm. happened in the past. I see what you did and, there. Uh, and it's a true, st- it's, it's all true story stuff. And uh, it, it's just super good, like well-told stories that hmm. um, uh, somehow keep you engaged throughout the whole time. Like I, I listen to each one. And I'm like, oh, I'm not really interested. If I just read the description, you know. Mm-hmm. But then when I listen to the show, I'm like, oh, man, that was that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. I, I would recommend Heavyweight for sure. Nice. What, what, what about you? What else did you have? On the- <laughs> most of the most of the podcasts, this won't surprise you, that I listen to are about Netrunner. Uh, <laughs> Run Last Click, shout out to you guys. Terminal 7, Theophilus Bagpiper. <laughs> That's it. I don't need to say anymore because no one understood a thing I just said. Uh, <laughs> including me, <laughs> including you. But yeah, those are the those are the three I had. S Town, me reading stuff, reply all. 
We um, did re- mention uh, Robin O'Neill's podcast. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Um, we I, I will to. also, I would give a shout out to um, Pension in Public, but oh yeah, totally. We, we don't give a shout out to them. That's just part of our because of our beef. Our, yeah, our ongoing um, turf war. We're hoping to defeat them in 2018 <laughs> with tridents specifically. Just all, all out war. <laughs> um, the no, there was a show called The Accused. Uh huh. I don't know if you listened to this. It was fantastic. And it was uh, about, it's a true crime podcast called Accused. Oh, yeah. About a a kind of unsolved murder in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And I'm a a huge fan of these kind of um, either shows or podcasts that take kind of an old unsolved murder that seems to be a closed case and kind of reopen it. Mm and there was a one on Netflix, in fact, called The Keepers about the murder of a nun. I don't oh, know yeah. if you saw this, but no. uh, that was really well done. So uh, if you liked that, check out uh, Ac- The Accused, which might be hmm. actually from 2016. Maybe that I mean, it's oh, yeah. not 2017, but hmm. Hmm. cool. Anyways, that that wraps up my my sort of highlights about podcasts. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, moving to TV, I guess that's a natural progression. Um, no surprises here, Matt, but Nathan for you season four this year was otherworldly. Um, the last episode is called finding Francis and it was like hailed in a lot of end of year TV list, best episode of the year lists. Um, specifically this episode, it's two hours long and it's about this recurring character that's on Nathan for you who plays a bill gates impersonator in real life and Mm. this man is like it's quite odd and he starts he makes allusions to this woman named francis that he loved in like in his you know late teens early 20s and nathan kind of keeps asking him about it because he's a recurring character and um they they try and track her down you know this is like 40 years later 50 years later and this guy's still like has this huge regret that he should have married this girl and what happens in the episode is, is like, it's so compelling, so good. And uh, really to like Lucas Thompson's point about Nathan Fielder being kind of a Wallisian sincerist, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff comes out in this episode that I, him and I were emailing about it last week. Uh, and I said, this episode really confirms your thesis at the Oz Wallace conference. Uh, so that was good. And then Matt Luter put me onto this show called Review this year. We may have talked about it on this episode. I can't remember. But it's a uh, documentary-style show where people send in things that they want the guy to review, like life things, and he goes out and reviews them. So, like, stealing, like shoplifting is on the first episode. So he goes out and he shoplifts some stuff. Uh, Then someone asks what it's like to be addicted to drugs. So he gets addicted to cocaine. And then the things that he gets asked to review just kind of like snowball into into having higher and higher implications for this guy's own personal life. So like episode two, he gets asked to review divorce. And so he goes home and starts this conversation with his wow. wife that he wants to get a divorce. Like That's a it is idea. It is absurd and it is so funny. Like it's not a real show like Nathan for you. It's not a documentary, real life documentary show. It's a documentary style show, but it's fictional. But it is amazing it's so funny the ending specifically is one of the most meta like just super cool weird twist endings i've ever seen on anything 
So check out Review if you haven't seen that. Is it on Netflix? Uh, not Canadian Netflix, um, but it is on... Um, oh, what's it called? Hulu? Not it might be on Hulu. We don't have Hulu. What's the one we I can't remember the one we have. It'll come it'll come to me at some point. But right, I, it's on one that I have, yeah. Forget it. Forget about it. Kirby Enthusiasm came back this year after like oh a huge God. hiatus. So it's good. It's one of my favorite shows, dude. Yeah. Uh, did you I've did seen, you <laughs> Yes. I've seen every episode of it ever. Oh good. It. Including the new season. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Wonderful. Um, the Salmon Rushdie episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> What's the term that he uses? Uh, fatwab, fatwab bros. Fatwab. Fat we're the fatwa boys. We're the fatwa boys. Uh, I just love that they had Salman Rushdie on Seinfeld, oh, uh, and then brought him back for uh, uh, Curb. That's right. So good. Uh, obviously, Twin Peaks was on this year after twenty-five years. You watched the first two seasons way back in the teen years. Uh, did you get around to this season yet? Not I quite. have not, so I'm, yeah. I can't really speak to it. But yeah. every, everyone seemed to love it. But yeah, I, I dug it. I, I thought it was it. great. I mean, it continues on the theme of being like so off the wall, and there are episodes in it that are so dissimilar from from all the others that are just properly bonkers, which you know is the mind of David Lynch, of course. Um, but overall, loved it. Some of the cameos were amazing. Like, I don't want to spoil too many, but there's a, a brief Michael Sarah cameo on one of the early yeah. episodes that is one of the funniest, weirdest scenes I've ever seen in any show or movie. Period. Um, so that was that was very up there for me. Uh, I know your brother digs the leftovers. Right. The leftovers finished this year in season three, and Rach and I loved it finale was was radical and it went to places that didn't think could exist um mm. so that is a show that that is that's way up there for me this year uh handmaid's tale loved it very yeah very it looks strong good show. man I've yeah gotta, i gotta great. go back and watch that and alias grace i want to watch both of those. Uh, oh yeah i've never actually read a handmaid's tale but i would love to now especially right. um yeah the show's great the americans is a show about um Soviet spies acting like mm -hmm. Americans in the 80s in Washington, D.C. Good show this year. Another solid season. And uh, I got to say, I mean, the show's been around for a while, but we got really into watching Jeopardy this year. <laughs> wow. As a result of hanging out with Rob Short and Matt Luter at the ISU conference, they both said that they tape every episode and watch every episode. Of course, Matt Luter's been a contestant on Jeopardy. Um, which we failed to mention on his episode, but yeah. gonna gonna drop that now. So Rach and I record it, and we we keep scores, and um, it's been really good, man. It's so fun, and we start mm -hmm. going to like pub quizzes with friends, and you know trying to really exercise that quiz muscle. And uh, so I did win a trivia championship this year. Oh which wow! Was pretty, uh, at uh, a pub in Denver, which was pretty big. For oh, in Denver, I, cool, I, man. I, I felt pretty proud. Mm -hmm. um, and I did, I watched Jeopardy with my grandmother about two weeks ago. And uh, <laughs> I got to say, I, I nailed it. Yeah. What do you think your percentage was of, of correct questions answered? I, you know, I didn't write it down, Dave, <laughs> but it was pretty high. Matt says know. if you can get 70 or higher, uh, then you should be a contestant on the show. I've I think never I should 70%. try out. 
I think I should try out. <laughs> yeah, do it, man. I bet I bet you would nail it. You have an encyclopedic mind, to be sure. Um, so yeah, I love trivia. I was gonna mm. bring it back to TV shows though, and say uh, there. I do remember now that you're talking. I watched one TV show that I had high hopes for, and I mm-hmm. thought sucked. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was the fifth season of Orange Is the New Black, which was oh, just you ter- know, I agree terrible. with you. It was bad. I didn't even finish it. But I did I've not finish it either before it. Yeah. I think I maybe watched uh, like four episodes and was just like, yeah, this is, uh, it was, it was uncompelling. Yeah. Yeah. It came out, I think in the middle of the summer and I remember watching a few episodes and I was like, are they going to keep this riot thing going the whole time? And I, was like, <laughs> I just didn't care. Like I, I just bailed after like four episodes. So. Yeah. It started to feel less, uh, started to feel kind of just hokey and like, I don't know, more, more soap opera than any, than literary, I guess. I didn't like it. I thought yeah. I remember maybe right around that time, maybe it was a couple months before watching um, the people versus OJ Simpson. Did oh, you yeah. watch that? Did I watched you watch some that of show? that. Rachel watched it and I saw, I caught like a lot of it, but I didn't watch it, you know, front we, to back like she did. But oh, what I saw good. looked looked great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Cuba Gooding Jr. plays OJ. And yep. um, I really enjoyed that show. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I did watch something. I forgot. There you go. Good man. Good man. Um, this is us is a show that I watched season one of this year, and there, there's a one of the actors from uh, the OJ show is on it. Um, I can't remember his name, blanking, but that show is um, is having become a parent in the last year. The show is about these like these people in the the, the 70s or 80s who have triplets in the first episode. Mm. It's about the kids growing up, um, and it is so evocative, like to the point that I think maybe it's kind of it it could be like campy almost but they do such a good job of endearing the characters to you that it doesn't feel like it crosses that line too mm. much um i haven't watched season two yet but i will because it's pretty good I'll and it was up for a bunch out. of uh it was up for a bunch of golden globes and stuff too yeah yeah Somehow that makes me think of another thing that I did watch last year, which mm. is uh, a documentary. I love documentaries, and yeah. it was called Get Me Roger Stone. Have you mm. heard of this? I've heard of that. Yeah, what is it? So it's about Roger Stone, who was a campaign advisor to Donald Trump. Mm. And he was also you know, involved in Watergate somehow with Nixon oh, wow. and is really just one of the dirtiest players in like Washington <laughs> politics ever. And this is the documentary about him uh, in particular and really why he decided to join a Trump campaign, which fits right with his ethos. And I think it explains a lot about the the stuff that's happening with um, Paul Manafort uh, because he had a firm with Manafort um, in the 80s, just catering, catering to sort of any anyone who would pay them. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you want to get any more, you know. Something you might not read in a newspaper article now about Roger Stone. Go back and watch this Netflix documentary called Get Me Roger Stone. I thought that was mm. really fun. Oh, cool. Did you watch the Vietnam documentary this year, the Ken Burns? Nope. Okay. We watched, I think, definitely one, probably two episodes. Uh, and, you know, like felt like a documentary about Vietnam. It was fine. I rem- <laughs> yeah, I remember I'm like going- a history teacher, so I was like, yeah, this feels like something I'd show in class. I remember looking for it and honestly I didn't I just 
I, I, I didn't find it comforting, like the idea of it. I was like, I, I got to mm. steal myself a little bit to think about right. Vietnam right now. Yeah, um, no kidding. But when I do like seek out comfort food on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, for me, I go to Werner Herzog documentaries. <laughs> um, yes. What's the volcano one? I watched that this year. Oh, yeah. Into the Inferno or something. Yeah, like yeah. It's good. But I mean, for yeah. me, the, the best one is one called Happy People. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, is that the uh, one about sh- technology No and computers? Okay. No, that I didn't like that one that much. Um, okay. the happy people is about a year in the taiga in Russia. Hmm. And it's a documentary about people who are sort of cut off from society. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen it, just drop everything and just go watch that movie. Cause okay. it is the best. Okay. Um, but you know, Robin O'Neill went to Warner Herzog like, film school. Yeah. Him. Um, yeah, she cites that as a as a very significant life event. I, I'm super Which, jealous of that. Enough, like just yeah. even meeting him, but like studying mm. with him is amazing. I uh, have a friend I, who does the most amazing Werner Herzog impression, and he can just <laughs> riff like he can talk for five minutes in his voice, and he he just all the all the like really hyper philosophical hyperbolic way that Herzog <laughs> speaks in like he can just he can just riff it's a it's amazing I love it yeah it's really good I can kind of do Hank Hill from King of the Hill but um, <laughs> I'll, I have right. to have a couple I have to have a couple of drinks before <laughs> all right um, we'll hear it at the next ISU yeah, conference the next conference uh, but <laughs> yeah I mean my other I'm there next. for me this the second the number one Herzog movie is Happy People number two is uh, Cave of Forgotten Dreams Hmm. Uh, about the the kind of cave paintings in France. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, that that's a movie I go back to a lot, and I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you ha- if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, like you should. If you have seen it, like watch it every year. Dave, mm-hmm. have you seen this Cave of Forgotten Dreams? I have not. Oh I'm, my god! I'm disgusted to admit. Oh my god! I mean, what it makes you think is like people existed thirty thousand years ago, twenty five thousand mm. years ago, and this is what they were doing. And right. they 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 were better at drawing than you were. Yeah. Like oh and, yeah, of course. And with a piece of like a charcoal, charcoal. rock. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> their art is more lasting than like anything any of us will create. Mm-hmm. It's just it's phenomenal to me to watch that um, mm. movie and to see those drawings and mm. uh, and just think about you know what what why they did that what inspired it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. a really well done documentary. But mm. did you like Grizzly Man? I did like Grizzly Man yeah, a lot I like too. Grizzly Man a lot. Um, I wrote a paper on it actually in in like a Canadian film studies class in my third year <laughs> back wow. in like two thousand six, comparing it to this uh, Canadian documentary called Project Grizzly where this guy makes what he hopes to be a grizzly proof suit and he tries to like encounter grizzly bears in the suit and survive. So I compare, I wrote a compare contrast wow. Uh, wow. piece about that is fun. I took a similar class, but in 1996 <laughs> and, and uh, we read the Unabomber manifesto Whoa. and uh, uh, encounters with the archdruid, with, uh, John McPhee and hmm. uh, Edward Abbey I don't know if you read Edward Abbey, but no. uh, Aldo Leopold, Sand County Almanac. Hmm. Uh, and it's really like literature of ecology type stuff where, uh, you know, you, you get into preserve preservation more than right. um, 
I don't know the why of it, but hmm. there there's a lot of that in that. I, the Grizzly Man stuff is is some of the, my favorite. We also read the Into the Wild, which I really liked that book. John Krakauer. Hmm. Um, uh, that was a very influential book for me. Hmm. Cool. Did you like the did film you, version? I did. Yeah. I didn't. Hmm. I didn't think it was as good as the book, obviously, but yeah. I thought it was good. almost never. Hit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, what else is on your list, man? Games. What do you got left? Uh, let's go music. Uh, okay, I'll, oh my god, we haven't even got to music. What time I'll, do, I'll do it real fast. Uh, I sent Matt some homework. Oh, we got a couple plenty of time. Ago. We got sent him, time. Sent him the playlist. Some, so I don't know if you listen to any of it, Matt, but here we go. Here's Sorry. my top 10 favorite albums this year. My take on music this year is that in terms of albums, it was not a good year for music. There are not a lot of albums that came out this year that I'm like really thrilled about. Uh, the top 10 on this list, I think, are all good, but none of these is going to be you know, in my top albums of the decade list, I don't think. Um, so anyway, for whatever that's worth. Uh, number one favorite album of the year, probably Big Thief, Capacity. This band put out an album last year, which we talked about, called Masterpiece. And I thought Masterpiece was better than Capacity, but still this album is fantastic. And this band obviously is very prolific, putting out two solid albums in back-to-back years. Way to go, guys. Uh, number two, Moses Sumney is a, an electronic artist who is kind of similar to James Blake, if you've heard of him, that guy from the UK. Um, sings a lot in falsetto, and there's kind of just like Does he play tennis? Is he a tennis player, James Blake? Uh, yes, there is a ten- an American tennis player named James Blake, but they are different James Blakes, believe it or so, not. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I appreciate the, uh, the uh, interpolation there. Um, this album, A Romanticism, is like, it's not something I would normally listen to. It's very stylistically different than anything I really dig. Um, but I just kept listening to it, and a friend of mine in Vancouver saw him and said the show was one of the best things he's ever seen, hands down. And I kept listening and kept listening, and by the end of the year I was like, yep, this album's amazing. Putting it up there at number two. Number three, Do Make Say Think, an album called Stubborn Persistent Illusions. This is a post-rock band from Toronto. In Canada, Convexityites, uh, post-rock meaning they don't have any vocals, it's just all instruments. Um, and funny enough, Matt, we were just talking about Skippy Dies, and I was reading it today, like not only like maybe three hours ago, and there's an epigraph on the chapter two introduction from Albert Einstein, and he's talking about um, physics and the, the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. And I just looked at that, and I actually listened to this Do Make Say Think album on vinyl today at like 4 p.m., and it's called Stubborn Persistent Illusions, and it's like one of those weird life things that happens where you're like, how how are these things that are that were so disparate, you know, two wow. minutes ago, now just suddenly like come perfectly into focus together? Weird. I don't know. Great album. Number four, Sheer Mag. This is a, a band from Philadelphia. They're kind of like a scrappy rock band. Uh, the album's called Need to Feel Your Love. I bought this album twice uh, this year because the first time I was in Vancouver, I was like on the Sky Train checking my stop. It wasn't labeled very well. I got up to check, uh, got off the train, forgot to go back for the records, so I left it on the train by accident. You know, called tr- called the Transit Authority, reported the lost and found. They never got it back, so I bought it again in in, uh, in Seattle in November. <laughs> <laughs> I describe this band as a, as kind of a mix between like Thin Lizzy and like lots of like guitar licks like that and like Jackson 5 
because the vocals just kind of have a quality that sort of reminds me of Jackson 5 in a, in a weird melodic way. So uh, last year they had an album that was on my top 10 list as well, Sheer Meg. Number five, Grizzly Bear. Speaking of bears and grizzlies and Werner Herzog, their album Painted Ruins this year was pretty good. Not my favorite Grizzly Bear album, but it was nice. There's some really good songs on it. Uh, another uh, animal-themed band at number six, Fleet Foxes with Crack Up. Again, it's a good album. I, I like them. Yeah. I like them. Yeah, I like them historically. I think this is like my least favorite album they've ever done, but it's still like good and fine. Um Number seven, you've probably heard of Arcade Fire before, Matt, I'd imagine. I like, I like them. Yeah, I, like I do too. I like them too. Their album this year is called Everything Now, and I thought it was quite hit or miss. Like, there are some songs on it that are, that are pretty bad. There's one called Peter Pan, and the lyrics are about him, like, being your Peter Pan. It's just, like, it's a bit cringy, but there's enough good songs on it to, you know, get it onto this list, I think. So uh, my same friend in Vancouver saw them play, I think it was October, and for their stage setup, they had their stage in the middle of the arena, like in like the big bowl kind of area, and it was a boxing ring. And they just played like in this like boxing wrestling ring for like most of the show, which sounds pretty rad. So they're kind of like facing, you know, the audience on all sides from the middle. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sounded pretty cool. Uh, number eight, Mac DeMarco's album, This Old Dog, another Canadian guy's from the Montreal region, but I think he lives in New York now. He's like got like really jangly just like stoner rock um his stuff's good it's fun this album's again it's like fine but it's not my favorite thing that he's done um and then a new artist at number nine phoebe bridgers um her album stranger in the alps an album that kind of i discovered towards the end of the year kind of grew on me she's really dark uh she reminds me a lot of sun kill moon in terms of like the lyrical content of what she writes about she writes about depression and death and and all other kinds of wonders like that uh as you know good literary fiction tends to do uh and then number 10 uh a metal band from salem massachusetts called converge had an album called the dusk in us did and you just say massachusetts Mas- massachusetts that's what my mom says i've never heard anyone else say massachusetts what do you say massachusetts yeah. <laughs> well, I've had like a couple beers, so maybe that's <laughs> um, funny story. When I went to Minnesota last year for Netrunner Worlds in the airport, I was going through customs and the security guy goes, where are you going? And I said, Minneapolis. And he goes, where? <laughs> said Minneapolis. He's like, man, it's Minneapolis, Minneapolis. And I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> For some reason, I thought it was called Minneapolis. Why would I think that? Oh, my I don't God. Know. That's great. Same that's reason great. I think it's Massachusetts. I don't know. I'm Canadian. What do I know? Um, <laughs> anyways, this band Converge has like, been one of my favorite metal bands for like since the year 2000. I wrote a paper about their album Jane Doe during my master's, actually, in a class that was called DIY Hardcore Punk Subcultures. And for my final project in this course, Matt... We just had to do something ourselves, like anything. That was the only parameter. So I was like, and everyone was so mad and confused. And they're like, what do you mean we have to do something ourselves? Like, do something punk? Yeah, do something. Well, not it didn't even have to be like punk per se, but just make something, do something yourself, and then present it to the class. If It felt like a, you know, kind of like an elementary school project. So what I did is I like, I organized and put on, promoted a metal show because I have some friends who play in a band called Baptist. And so 
so I did all the promotion and stuff like that for that show and and I invited the prof out and I got 100% on the project. He was really into it, so that was cool. Uh, this band, Converge. I'm um, proud of you, Dave. Yeah, thank you. It was the best mark I ever got in anything in university, <laughs> <laughs> except for in my teaching degree because everything was like 100% in that because it's a pretty pretty easy program. Um, but yeah, Converge is coming to Vancouver in a week and a half, so we're going to Vancouver for next Friday to see Converge, and I expect to get my face just absolutely obliterated right off at that show, and I can't wait. Um, so if you like metal, check out Converge. Um, I did not put a Converge song on the playlist that's going to be coming out with this episode because it's too abrupt and polarizing compared to everything else. Like it's too dissimilar. If you have all this kind of like you know indie folk, and then all of a sudden someone is like is screaming themselves hoarse, it's not going to be a positive listener experience for most people, I guess. So I'm, I just decided to leave that off. But you can go check them out on the side if you like. <laughs> I saw three live shows, Matt, that were good this year, especially good. Uh, Hot Snakes in Seattle, Kate LeBon in Vancouver, and Baptists in Victoria. Speaking of metal, they came here a couple months ago. And so that was the year in music for me. Wow, that's, I mean, I, I just have to listen to it now because I feel like you've set it up. <laughs> okay, um, good. I, I so hope I well. sold it a little bit. You right did. On. You yeah. did. I'm going to go listen to it. Excellent. Um, so I, I just refrained from even mentioning music because I just don't know what I'm talking about. But um, <laughs> I still have some other books. I've read a lot more yeah, books than we've mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. And so far, all of the other books that I've mentioned um, were published in 2017. Yeah. But there are That's impressive. A, a couple of books that I want to mention. Actually, just one book maybe two that I, that were not published in 2017 that I, mm-hmm. I want to mention. I read a lot of other books not published in 2017. Yeah. That um, was like one, all of my list almost. <laughs> well, one that had been on my list uh, that I finally got around to reading was um, Stoner by John Williams. Oh, I've had that on my shelf for years and I have been meaning to check it out. And I just absolutely love this book. They're supposed to make it into a movie, and really? I don't really, I don't really care if they do or not. Maybe it'll bring more people to the book. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, this book really resonated with me. It was sort of set in the era of like my great grandparents, mm-hmm. and my great grandfather right. um, lived in rural Missouri, mm-hmm. and um, I found it to just be a really compelling story of one man's life. And it is also set on a campus, so it's kind of a university novel as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, all of the praise that you've heard for it is like well deserved. So oh, yeah. go go read Stoner. I'd read his one of his other books, um, Butcher's Crossing, which mm-hmm. I loved. It's kind of a western. Um, it's set in I think Nebraska, and it's uh, really uh, evocative uh, of the plains, settling the plains, and kind of butchering a lot of bison so if you're not into that wow, maybe don't yeah. read it but i was really into it and it's like a tannery <laughs> you're just super um, into bison butchery just as, yeah. a, as a side interest i'm scared <laughs> yeah i would be down with that um so i really enjoyed that book uh mm-hmm. stoner the other other thing i haven't talked about a little bit yet is roberto bologno oh yeah and so since i first read bologno in 2008 
I've been obsessed with finding other, you know, Latin American writers in his same tradition or vein. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's really hard because there are so many writers compared to Bolaño. And then when I read them, I sort of say, wow, that was interesting, but not what I was expecting. Uh-huh. Um, and I've written about this a bit. And there are many uh, really important Latin American writers who I would compare to Bolaño. But really just two that I think merit um, being in the same conversation with him in terms mm-hmm. of if you liked Savage Detectives and 2666, mm-hmm. you might like these other people. Oh, good. Okay, I like where this is going. And the two that I'm going to mention are uh, Sergio Pitol, mm-hmm. P- P-I-T-O-L. Sergio Pitol, uh, <laughs> I, and he is uh, a Mexican writer published by Deep Vellum in the United States, which oh, is yeah. a Dal- Dallas, Texas publisher, mm-hmm. and he has a trilogy that the third volume of it just came out in 2017, so that's why I'm, I'm bringing it up, hmm. and the trilogy is uh, one book called The... Uh, the Art of Flight, one called The Journey, and then the new one is called The Magician of Vienna. Hmm. And these are really like literary memoirs in the way that like Knausgaard is like a literary memoir. Mm -hmm. But what he's doing is totally different than that, and it's much more informed by his life in literature and, and art and what he has read and what he has uh, seen in the world and the people he has met in, you know, different taverns around the world. And uh, to me, this book, uh, you know, I want to read something that is written by someone um, better read and smarter than me, pretty much. <laughs> That's usually the hope, right? Like what you want to read. <laughs> right? And, and uh, especially well read, like I want to yeah. learn something from it. And, um, Pitol is one of, you know, he won like the Cervantes Prize. He's one of the, um, you know, most celebrated writers in the Spanish language. Hmm. Cool. And so for him to be published finally in English and have like his sort of, I, what I think that trilogy is really his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, you should, ch- you should check it out, especially if you liked, you know, the stuff that Bolaño writes that is full of illusions. Right. Um, the other cool. one that I would mention is, also came out in 2017 is Ricardo Piglia, mm-hmm. Pig, Piglia, if you want to say it in the American way. Mm-hmm. Um, but sounds Piglia, slightly less flattering. He he actually passed away in 2017 as well, mm-hmm. and he is Argentine, uh, the same way that like Bolaño was Chilean, and he has a kind of alter ego called uh, Emilio Rinzi, mm-hmm. and the first volume of his. A book called The Diaries of Emilio Renzi came out in 2017. Hmm. Uh, and this was also published by a small publisher, a new publisher in the U.S. called Restless Books, which is out of Brooklyn, I think. Hmm. Um, and that's run by Elon Stavins, who is a legend in uh, Spanish language writing in general in the U.S., Cool. And so those books, I think there's going to be more of the volumes of Emilio Renzi's diaries to come out, but I think they're going to take a while for critics to digest. I feel like hmm. 
the um, American literature scene hasn't really even had time to digest those books being out in the world, mm. but they are just full of um, literary allusions and other writers and other art. And uh, again, if you liked Savage Detectives, I think you would like Pitol and Pelia. Cool. Um, I have one more book. Do you do you have anything Dr- else? Drop I feel it. like I've been talking. Drop, drop it on us. Well, it's a book I actually got at Christmas of 2016. 16, yeah. And read for most of Oh, yeah. I know where this is going. <laughs> you know what this is. Uh, and this is uh, Bottom's Dream right. by Arno Schmidt, uh, mm-hmm. which is a book that I've had on my desk for a solid year. So I have a reading desk in my office that I just sort of given over to this book, which I think weighs <laughs> like nine pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is just phenomenal. And I go in, in that office and spend like maybe an hour here and an hour there just yeah. um, absorbing it. And How long does it take to read it. one page of that book? Man, it varies. It's like super intricate, ornate, weird but it's funny. It's stuff, right? Yeah, but the thing is, it's funny. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the whole thing is written in a sort of obsolete vernacular, right? right? Yeah. It's written in, <laughs> it's written in a uh, typographically weird style. Mm-hmm. I tell you what helps is there is a Twitter account, which, again, we'll link to in the show notes, <laughs> okay. that, that reposts a lot of um, just snippets from the book. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you get the right passage of it, uh, it is hilarious. And there's a reader who uh, uh, and a listener of the show who I've talked to about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, Banshee Beats. I want to give him oh, a yeah, shout yeah. out. Um, and he's there's not many people I know who have um, really spent time sitting down and reading this book. Yeah. Um, so the people who have taken notes on it and have something to share, like I really value um, their opinion of that book. But I, I'm going to, cool. again, it's sort of like the familiar. I'm probably going right. to spend like years of my life <laughs> trying to read it. And it's not that it's that hard to read. It's just that there's so much of it. And, yeah. Um, it's like, how do but, you, how do you eat a whale? Just like one tiny, one tiny, one bite. tiny bite at a time. <laughs> yeah. And this is a little more enjoyable than eating a whale. But um, <laughs> again, Oh, you're not you a know, blubber man, Matt. Nah, maybe, but, um, <laughs> What this reminds me of is like a uh, really body, like 18th century drama. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you read like Oliver Goldsmith and stuff where no. it's just, you know, a rural setting. It's sort of archaic to begin mm-hmm. with. And then uh, you just get all kinds of, you know, it's it's also named after Midsummer's Night Dream, right? Like right. Bottom's Dream yeah. is like the most like raunchy Shakespeare there is. Yeah, it's just total bathos, right? Yeah, total. Mm-hmm. And um but I really enjoy that book, and I feel like remiss if I didn't mention it in hmm. my 2017 nice recollection media consumption. <laughs> cool, that sounds like a good one. Um, so that's that's all the all the top books. Uh, let me let me talk about board games for one minute. Okay, Thanks, obviously Netrunner is king. Like it's been almost three years now, and it's still the most compelling thing that I've ever seen on a table, um, game wise. So if you have any interest in uh, a two-player card game that's set in a cyberpunk dystopian future, check it out. Um, I got to play one game of Secret Hitler this year, uh, which is a game that I talked about last year on the show. I don't own it, but I have a friend who has it, and we played it at the Baby Bachelor weekend that I mentioned. Um, And it's like, 
eight friends or ten friends basically accusing each other of being fascists and liars for two hours. And it is absolutely insane, fun. People get really emotional, which is both good and bad. Um, but if you're able to detach yourself, you know, emotionally uh, from like the personal relationships you have with the people you're playing with and like from the, the game characters, it's great. Um, one of our listeners, Adam Schwartz, tweeted a three about three weeks ago, fun fact, at Dave Laird is the reason half of my family owns Secret Hitler now. And wow. I just I just loved that. Yeah, that's a great compliment. Yeah, he, he followed it up by saying my family gets visibly pissed off now if we're at a gathering and he didn't bring it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. Um, and then one other game that I'll mention that I got for Christmas last year, but played a lot of this year is called Codenames Pictures. And it's a team game, which is really good for like six or more people, like six to ten where you've got this grid of pictures on the board and two people, one from each team, is is the spy master and they have like this card that is basically the key for the board so they know where everything is on the map and they're trying to give clues to their team to unlock all of their correct tiles before the other team does. And it leads to just some very funny, interesting um, conversations after like, Okay, so I was trying to link these two pictures by getting at this really subtle detail on this one and then this on this other one. And people are just like, that's absurd. Why would you think that? So it, it like one thing that I've heard about the reason why board games are so cool and why there's such a renaissance of them is because they really help you to get to know and enjoy your friends more. So there's this communal aspect to them and this game Codenames Pictures, we break it out like with my with my parents, with other people's parents, People who are like not gamers. It's not like a, a, it's not a technical game in any way. It's it's like a it's thinky, but it's really fun. So check out that if you're looking for something uh, light but interesting and uh, and social. Your boys would probably be able to play it. They'd probably dig it. Uh, now that sounds fun. Yeah, um, it's good. I think I've told you the only board game like uh, bookshelf type board game that I want to get is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that is the subject of a Roberto Bolaño novel, of course, mm-hmm. which is called The Rise and the Fall of the Third Reich. Oh, yeah. And it's I think we World talked War about II this in the airport in Chicago a couple yeah, years ago. <laughs> it's a World War II strategy game, and I really think you and I should play it against okay. each other. <laughs> sure. Um, Can you play it online? Or no, like through the mail? Like no, chess? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you can play it through the mail, but it's mostly... Um, a tabletop game. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, that I, I was good. actually in a tabletop gaming store last weekend in oh, yeah? uh, Lawrence, Kansas. Cool. And if anyone has been to this store, you probably know what I mean. It has like a big um, Pokemon character in the front window. <laughs> and uh, there were a lot of interest. There's like so many new games out, Dave. It's crazy. Oh, like, yeah. Like, like I said, sh- it's been a real renaissance for sure. The shelves were just like crammed with brand new games. And yeah extension packs and there was plenty of netrunner for sale there yeah you saw it oh good times did i tell you that i wrote a in my critical theory class a couple years ago i wrote a paper on the universe of netrunner about um diversity and representation of like of ethnicity and gender Mm. it was fun it was the most fun Mm. i've ever had writing a paper like more fun than i had writing about infinite jest for my thesis because wow, it's like slightly less material to wade through as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's I. I haven't. 
I haven't really had fun writing anything in a long time. Yeah, it's true, man. Academic writing is just not really like something that I really enjoy. Like some of the, some of our friends, people who've been on the show, like seem to really thrive off it, you know, like Dave Herring and, and people like that. And for me, it's just like, it's, it's really grinding and, and soul crushing. I'm happy I've done it when it's over, you know, but like when I'm doing it is not my idea of a fun time. It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Um, For sure. Yeah. You know what I bought at that store was not a game. I bought a pack of cards that were trading cards from uh, the show Downton Abbey. (laughs) Wow. They have those. Cool. I mean, it's not totally surprising that exists as a thing, but I mean, can you think of a more boring theme for a card game or uh, uh, trading cards? <laughs> Here's an old white British man <laughs> looking austere. I was Here very excited when I found this. I totally bought him. I was like, that's what I want. <laughs> that's That rules. That's very cool. That's good. Uh, it was a good 2017. Let's hope 2018 brings us some new things. Maybe we'll play yeah, some new games. Um, sure. are, is, is 2018 the year you go to New Zealand, or is yeah, that we go year? and we go on the 27th of this month, like two weeks, 17 what? days. We're going. Oh my god. Yep. We'll I'm be not back. Prepared, Dave. I know. Me neither. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, yeah, we'll come back for about a month in August, September. Um, spend some time in in Western Canada here, and then most likely head on back down. For Rachel oh to, to do her Peace and Conflict Studies PhD. So I'm very proud of her. I'm excited for this life opportunity and for what it's going to open up for her. Um, and yeah, little, little Fee gets to maybe have, maybe she'll have like a Kiwi accent for the first little bit wow. of her life or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's try to get in another um, episode before you move to yeah, another hemisphere. For sure. And then, um, and then the time zones get really wacky. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. The first time we, we produce a, a show from two different hemispheres that'll be fun yeah the weird thing is like i can't take really much with me right so i'm gonna have to leave all my wallace books here in canada so i just feel like i'll have nothing to really like reference except for what's through the internet which could be handcuffing but we'll see do you have a kindle i mean take a kindle i have i have an ipad so i yeah ibooks would work that's true Yeah. yeah um yeah any uh, any like resolutions for the show this year, Matt? What what can listeners expect out of twenty eighteen from the Great Concavity? We haven't talked about this much at all. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully some cool interviews. Um, there's one writer that I'd really like to get on the show who shall not be named. In the event that it does happen, I think I'll just die with happiness if it does, and then we can just that can be the last episode of the show ever because we'll never have anything better. Um, you know, I do have a goal. I, all right, wait, I do have a goal, and my goal is maybe a little different than yours. Since I'm in Austin, I would uh-huh. really like to get more into the um, archives of the Ransom Center. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, not that I'm not in it already, but, like, mm-hmm. talk about it more and yep. um, maybe even record from the Ransom Center. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, and just uh, deal with the archive a little bit more. So that mm-hmm. that's one of my goals. Oh, that's good. Good thinking. I like that. And my shame will continue at having never been there. No, 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 no. There's no shame. That's no shame, man. You're, you've done and you know, you've done more than I have done. You've been to more places. It's just, just, just one place, man. There's, yeah. One day it'll all be online, and there, oh, there's no shame. That'll be a good so. day. I'll be happy for that day, for sure. Well, that's 2017. 
2017. Uh, cheers to 2018, Matt. I uh, wish you and your family all the best, and and same to all you listeners out there. Thank you guys for hanging in with us in 2017. We really appreciate all your support and all your uh, interacting with us on through email and Twitter and Instagram and other places. We love hearing from you uh, and hearing about the ways that you're thinking about Wallace and, and the other things that we talk about on the show. Uh, please continue that into this year. Uh, like we said, we're going to link to to all the stuff we said we'd link to in the show notes and um, the playlists that uh, that were discussed, which have kind of the highlight song from all the albums I talked about and many others will be something that you can check out and hopefully enjoy and feel free to hit me up about it on Twitter, Instagram, email, wherever, and let's talk about it. We want to thank, as usual, Robin O'Neill for her art for our show and, of course, the band Parquet Courts for their song Instant Disassembly. Any final thoughts, Matt? Peace out. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you soon. Bye.